With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thrilled to have one of my very favorite uh, rugby analysts, former favorite rugby player too, the great Murray Mexted. Love catching up with him from time to time. I have got massive professional jealousy. I got two weeks uh, in France, and I thought that was special. Murray, you've been there the whole tournament. You must be a pig in the trough. Yeah, well, that's right. Must I mean, be covered. But, but remember, I played here many years ago, and I've got lots of friends, and uh, also wanted to celebrate my birthday in Paris. I mean, no better place in the world to do that, um, and did so. Um, brought back so many memories. It's just been sensational for me. I'm a bit nostalgic as a person anyway, but uh, it's been way beyond expectation. But France has always had a big hold on your heart, hasn't it? Well, it has, um, and by accident in many respects, because I can't help but um, think while I'm here, why did I come to France before rugby players were playing and foreign rugby players were playing in France rather than England, where they speak English, and it would have been a lot easier because... I remember when I arrived in Argen all those years ago, um, no one spoke English and no one knew who I was. I wasn't an all bloke, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, I'm playing for this, uh, well, what was one of the best teams in France. And they won the Championship of France the year before I played and they had a few retirements, so they were looking to fill a few holes. And I guess I was lucky um, and connected really by, by absolute chance. And next thing I'm surrounded by these guys that don't know who I am and can't speak to me. And it was an <laughs> extraordinary experience. And I think it's probably changed my life in many respects. And so I'm now able to travel around this country with my family and indulge in, in, the, in the French thing, you know. Um, but the, the thing that I have noticed most, uh, Daniel, during this trip is the spread of rugby has been enormous compared to when I played yeah. and compared to when I commentated over here for ITV uh, the last time they had the Rugby World Cup in France. I mean, the growth has been enormous. In places like Lyon and Marseille, which used to be soccer strongholds, are now just crazy about rugby. I mean, so it does make a bit of a mockery of the way we're running our game in New Zealand and Australia, in my, my mind. We should be talking pretty carefully to what the French are doing, because whatever they're doing, they're doing really well, and it's working. Uh, again, I was only there on the ground for a couple of weeks, two and a half. What I detected was huge pride and a great sense of fun. Uh, is that too reductive? Is, is that what you've picked up on, why it's humming over there? Absolutely. I mean, what I can't get over is the, the French national anthem is a great, it's a great song, isn't yeah, it? Isn't it? It's a yeah. song. And they just love singing it. I mean, the nationalism that France are showing throughout yeah. this whole business is enormous. I mean, just sitting in the stadium uh, for the Ireland versus All Black game, and they're singing the national anthem. Um, you know, this is the French supporters, <laughs> and France weren't even playing. I mean, it, an amazing environment. And uh, as I said to you previously, you know, I missed one game, uh, France versus Italy, 
and that was billed as being a big game. And I actually watched it in an Irish pub of all places, but it was a hell of a good Irish pub, I will say. A clean one. Um, <laughs> yeah, very, very clean, big, big. And it was just full of Frenchmen, a couple of Italians, but mainly French. And they just had a ball. And I had never in yeah. my life, never experienced rugby euphoria like I did that night. They did the national anthem throughout the whole game, you know, over the top of the game. And yeah. uh, they were jumping up and down like the Argentinians do when they win. Yeah. And it was just uh, magnificent, absolutely magnificent. It's been exhilarating. Yeah, that must be so intoxicating, especially for someone like you, Murray, who's dedicated his life to the sport. The passion and love you have for it is just palpable. But for you to even be surprised, you know, that's a big tick. That's a big tick for France. Yeah, well, definitely have been. And you know that game against Ireland um, at Stade de France, that was – I've never experienced anything like that. I mean, I was speechless for most of that game, and I was sitting next to a great mate of mine – and we were, our legs were pressed together. Our knees were hitting each other because we were sort of, we were glued to the seat. Um, <laughs> and the, the suspense was enormous and the mood, it was just the mood in the stadium that blew me away. I just couldn't get over it. It was just, I've never felt anything like that before. Um, so, yeah. And you know, in that game, I don't know if you have the stats, but there were only five scrums in the game, All Blacks versus Ireland. And we put the ball in five times. So that means the All Black team made no mistakes. Incredible. The ref would have played advantage. It's also a compliment to the referee, who I haven't been a great fan of, actually, in the past, and he's doing the final. But, um, you know, he, he let the game go because rugby certainly was fantastic. It, it was sensational. I mean, mm. I, I can't believe it. So this All Black team is definitely growing as a unit, and that was my biggest concern is the inconsistency of the All Black side over the last couple of years, last 12 months, um, you know, and all of a sudden I can see this throughout this tour, I can see this team growing as a team. And if you don't have that team factor, you don't win the big games. I mean, the All Blacks will meet, beat most teams anyway on skills alone. But if you play against France and Ireland and South Africa, you're not going to beat those teams unless you've got a really good team. You know that old saying, a good team will always beat a team of good players? That's what I sort of felt it was like when we came into this uh, Rugby World Cup, that the All Blacks were a team of good players. Would they be able to develop very quickly into a great team? And I can see them growing. They continue to grow each game. So, yeah, it's a good feeling. Before we pivot completely and look at the final and drill down on that, and maybe this isn't the best forum for it, but I can't help but ask, you know, what advice could you impart to New Zealand rugby if we are to bring back the fun and the joy at our venues in particular? I'd say to promote the values of the game and what it does for people that play. It builds character and it helps people understand working with other, with each other. Mm. You know, where strong people can drag not-so-strong people through into that environment and all of a sudden the game becomes bigger than yourself. So the team factor has got to be important for our sport in New Zealand, but for the morale of people on the, uh, as a whole, uh, that would be the number one thing for me, values that values and standards that we, would, we develop amongst people. And I think rugby's been integral in that for over 100 years in New Zealand and bringing us together and, and making, allowing us to be proud yeah. uh, of our 
of our country, our nationalism and our sport as a little wee country mixing it with the rest of the world. Um, you know, and I feel it's sort of, that's diminishing at the moment and it needs to be promoted for, what, for the values it has. But one of the things I think um, is, is most necessary is to address the game and marginalise the, um, the referee so that he doesn't become the most important person on the pitch. Yeah. The game has to be the winner. I'm quite sure of that. And, some, and somewhere, you know, rules are making it difficult and maybe we've even got to be more liberal. I agree with Wayne Smith, actually. I think we have to, um, you know, drop the tackle height to the waist now. It will, it will speed up the game even further, um, but it will also stop, um, you know, unnecessary interruption of the game by, by, the, by the referee and the, and the uh, sideline referees. So, you know, that's my view. Yeah, always uh, fascinating to hear your views on, on things like that. The All Blacks in 2023, we, we, we know the troubles they had late 2021 into 2022 and the changes they did make, but almost from the off, um, my memory is that first game against Argentina, Mendoza, how much pace they started with, how quickly they started the game, how well they started the game. They did that against South Africa and Mount Smart. That They've started a lot of tests well, haven't they? And I think that's a function, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, I think that's a good sign of good coaching, isn't it? when sides start the games well. So how, how, how much are the changing changes in the coaching and the, and the coaching work you think important to their performances this year? Well, I think um, considerable would be the answer. Um, yes, the, the team factor, I come back again to the team factor. You know, if the coaches are able to develop an environment within the team that they go on the field and they have... Um, more desire as a unit than the opposition, whoever they may be, then that's fantastic. And I, I, once again, I'll go back to that All Black versus um, Ireland match. You know, the All Blacks led from the first minute right through to the end of that game. Um, and they had two men in the bin. So for a quarter of the game, they played with 14 men and they still won. And the referee decided he'd let the last facet of play go he wouldn't want to interrupt with who won the game, which was meritorious in my view. And how many phases? I think there was something ridiculous, like 37 phases. Yeah, indeed. And the Irish team never looked like scoring, really, in those 37. The, the defence as a unit was was immaculate. So that was the most reassuring thing for me, that we're on the right path and that the coaches are able to prepare this team to start with a hiss and a roar, and, and maintain that desire as a unit. So to me, that was the first sign that things are good inside this camp, despite all the bloody politics uh, created by, you know, by unnecessary uh, administration, I think, and uh, whatever is going to happen next year, I think that was a destructive element that they've managed to grow past. And I think you've got to commend Ian Foster and his team. And it's not just Ian Foster. It's that whole coaching group. And they made some changes. And you have to say that the, the changes have been have been successful and they're getting better. Whether they are good enough to win against the Springboks in the weekend, we shall find out. I look at three players and the way they've matured and developed as being huge to sort of elevating the team alongside the established stars. And I look at the number three, the number six, and the number 12 position. So important in world rugby, my Opinion. The development of Tyrell Lomax, Shannon Frizzell, 
and Geordie Barrett at 12. Would you agree that sort of trinity of players has been enormous? Um, I think those three positions are important, um, but I don't think they're the the three most important ones. Uh, If you only have five scrums in in a game, then the tight head prop is no longer the most important person, but... And saying that, Lomax has been great, hasn't he? His, his progress, his development over the last three or four years has been fantastic. One area in particular, apart from the scrum, which we can all see, I mean, nobody's beating us in the scrum. So you'd have to say, great work, Tyrell Lomax. But it's not only Tyrell, it's the front row. Indeed. And, um, and I'm delighted. But the area that I think most that he's improved is at the point of contact where he has leg drive that drives him through that tackle. Exactly. Rather than just hitting and dropping to the deck and setting it up. Because you've got to get forward momentum today, otherwise you're not going to yeah. break open a backline with the type of defences we have. Yeah, he's a complete three. Frizzell, yeah. static yeah. ball, front foot ball, you know, defensively, so imposing. We've been crying out for a six. And Geordie Barrett, I, I think we forget, I think he's only played nine or ten tests at 12, but he's just got up to speed so quickly. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a massive move, actually. He, I think he was the one that stood up publicly and said, uh, when he was our test fullback, he said, actually, I want to play 12. <laughs> and it blew me away when I heard that. I said, good on you, mate. Um, and that allowed Bowden to move to 15. And, you know, over the time, um, you know, you, you have to say that you want to play your most dangerous rugby player, the most, um, you know, outstanding rugby player at 15, because he has more opportunity than any other person on the field to influence the game in many respects, particularly if you play a game based on, well, I shouldn't say this, but based on attack, not defence. Like we have emphasised in New Zealand with the All Black team, our attack more than our defence. And just recently, our defensive um, pattern has become formidable. Uh, but it's mainly been based on attack. So therefore, you want your most attacking player to play fullback. That allowed Bowden to do that. But the great thing about his brother playing in the midfield backs, Geordie at second five, is he's six foot five. I mean, he's enormous. So he can actually lean through tackles and offload the ball. He's a tough little bugger. He is. He's not little, is he? He's enormous. <laughs> you know, and if you grow up on the farm with bigger, and you're the youngest kid in the family, you're going to have to be tough because your brothers are running all over you when you're, you know, when you're five and six and seven years of age. And I reckon that's been significant because yeah. we have had a lot of injuries at second five eight, which have affected the continuity of our backline, and I think he's been a great attributor. Yeah, let's get to the, more so the game before we let you go. Um, we are recording this just to remind our listeners we're recording this before the New Zealand team came out, um, but we do know the South African team at the very least. Wow, I did not think they would go back to the seven one split on the bench. I'm not surprised Faf de Klerk goes back into the starting position. Not surprised Andre Pollard gets the nod. Thank you, Manny LeBoc. Um, you've been fun to watch, but fundamentals, kicking goals, stewardship of a game, Pollard has that. But the 7-1 bench, I, I think this is a bit of a mistake, and, and, and I'd love to defer to you on this. I saw it against Ireland, and I didn't, I didn't see the reward for the risk. You know, you're one injury away, which can happen from disaster, aren't they? Can you understand yeah. why this? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Um, I think it's psychology. I think you're forgetting about psychology. Now, Russ Erasmus is cunning. He's oh, bloody really? cunning. Yes. And I've got so many examples, personal examples of that over the years with Rassi. So don't ever underestimate it. 
So why has he got a 7-1 split? This is psychology. Why has he announced the team before the All Black team is announced? He is trying to influence who we pick in our team. So don't forget about that. Um, and, you know, in some respects, the bomb squad, um, you know, has been quite a, uh, well, I think he's it's probably changed the face of the game in many respects. So bringing on so many big heavy hitters in the forwards has allowed a certain amount of domination, physical domination. And I've always thought that the only forward pack that can really compete against uh, the Springbok forwards is the All Blacks. I mean, they're probably the only forward pack that's ever beaten the Springboks up front yeah. because their game is totally different to ours. It's smash and bash the opposition till they can't compete any longer, force errors and capitalise on their mistakes. So this is a very, very cleverly selected team. And don't think he just made, you know, don't think he's made a mistake because I think he knows exactly what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to run this show and he's trying to influence our selection. So you'd have to say with the movement of Whitelock uh, coming on uh, as a bench player and players like McKenzie and also, you know, we've had the growth of some really young uh, to Mighty Williams, for example, players who have really stepped up and they're big boys. We've almost got our own bomb squad now and Dane Cole's coming on as a impact player. I mean, we have our own bomb squad, but I reckon that they'll consider this when they select whoever's in the playing 15 and on the bench. Um, the other thing that I think has been very noticeable is the game plan that the All Blacks have had. Now, why in the second half do you think we're over-kicking the game? You know, um, and Bowden Barrett's one of those who has kicked so much more than I ever thought he would in the second half against the teams that we were beating anyway. I think he's trying to influence um, the way the Springboks are reading our, our attack pattern. And I wouldn't be surprised um, if we don't kick the ball at all in the, in the, in the second half unless it's kicking for touch or kicking to regain. I don't think there'll be any tactical kicking. Kicking it out, sure, and kicking to recover, like the little chip kicks, these sorts of things. So there's a lot of games going on within the game. Brilliant. You know? Don't forget Brilliant. that. Uh, as, um, yeah, as observers sitting on the sideline watching this, you sort of tend to forget about that. You think, why is that player being selected? Well, there's another story going on behind the, the scenes, you know, and it's that's why journalists have so much trouble getting it right. And when you see journalists from around the world underrating this all-black team, um, you know, I think as a former, a former French player made a big statement in the paper here recently where he said this is nowhere near as strong an all-black team uh, as we've seen in the past. These guys are, you know, are weak. This was about three weeks ago. Well, he'd be pretty red in the face now. Olivia not Olivia Mania's best moments. Uh, on reflection, if only the listeners could see your face. Murray looks like the kid on Christmas morning at the, at the prospect of this. He's left no stone unturned as far as analysing. So how does it play out? I'll get you on this one. Give, give me, in, in a Murray-Mexted way, the anatomy of the 80 minutes, possibly more, and who's holding, who's holding the trophy when all is said and done? Well, tough ask. Tough ask that is. I mean, because we've got a real battle on our hands. This uh, any New Zealanders that are cocky about this game um, making a mistake, in my opinion. This is anybody's game. I reckon it's fifty-fifty, and there's a lot of 
battles within the battles. But one thing that has really pleased me is, as you pointed out, the way they start, which means that the coaches are doing a good job of preparation, team preparation. And the second thing is how accurate they've been um, in the last few games, just the last two or three games, really, that we've been able to judge them. All those other games against Namibia, et cetera, you know, you ha- it's hard to judge. It's easy yeah. to look good. But when you're playing against a team like Ireland, um, you know, you've got to do the business. And their accuracy and their discipline, I think, will give us a little bit of a sniff. So I'm not giving you much, Daniel, because I think it's going to be a hell of a game. But I'd give us just a little bit of a sniff because we're starting well and we look like we've got a united team um, that's getting better, getting better as this tournament goes on. I'm with you, Murray, and that's kind of what you want for a final. It will be the best team on the day, and I'm with you. It's so tight. I have a lot of admiration for the Springboks, their ability to overcome situations. I've been jokingly calling them the team that won't die, the zombie box. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's so impressive. I'm with you, Russi Erasmus, such a shrewd operator. And, you know, my final word to you, you know, I know those in the north have sort of struggled to get their head around the fact New Zealand and South Africa are meeting in a final again, but it's the first time in 28 years. And Murray, my blasting line of the week is if this doesn't excite you, I'm not sure this game's for you. <laughs> exactly. I know. I'm extremely excited, excited in anticipation. And the, the stadium, you know, has the perfect environment. Um, and as I'll repeat what I said at the beginning, I have never felt a rugby environment like this before in my life, and I'm so stimulated by it. It is next level. Brilliant. Murray, great to see you. Great to hear you. Thank you so much for being generous with your time. Enjoy it. Come what may, it's going to be um, something you're going to long remember. Thanks for your time. Okay, mate. Good talking to you. My pleasure, mate. Thank you so much, buddy.